You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. If you've got a Bible, grab a Bible and turn to Ruth. The book of Ruth is one of those awesome books. And I'll tell you why it's so awesome. It's a story for those people who feel like God has abandoned them. Who are going through hard times. And they feel like, what's God doing? And that's exactly what it was about. So if you throw the next one, Steve. Yeah. Ruth is one of those passages of the Bible, the books of the Bible that says, what is God, do, you know, what is God wanting me to do about the poor? And there's many passages in the Bible that talk about that. But Ruth is one of the ones where you see it in action. You see someone helping someone in deep need in real life. Next one, Steve. Alrighty. So, why is it called Ruth? Well, Ruth is actually not the main figure of the book. The main character in the book of Ruth is Naomi. And Naomi goes through disaster after disaster. She goes through drought. And her family have to leave and go to Moab to escape the drought. Okay, and that's not a small thing to do because Moab is an enemy country okay, to Israel. They fought with each other. When she gets there, her sons fall in love with beautiful young Moabite women and get married. But then her husband dies and her sons die and she's left with just her daughters-in-law and she goes... When the drought ends, she goes back to uh, her hometown, which is Bethlehem, as a poor widow. One of her daughters-in-law stays in Moab, but one will not leave her. and Her name is Ruth, hence the name of the book. And the tension in the book, every story has a bit of tension in it, the tension is, how will God provide... For Naomi. So at the end of chapter 1, she comes back and says, God is against me. He's, I had a full life and he's made me empty. Right? But she's not noticing something that's standing right next to her as she says that. Which is Ruth. You see, in Ruth, there are the seeds of her salvation. God is going to use this unlikely saviour to fill her life again. Alright. So let's go to the next one, Steve. Brilliant. Let's have a look at Ruth chapter 2, 1 to 3. So if you've got a Bible, have a look. If you've got a device, same, same. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now we look at this from the 21st century and go, What on earth is going on here? And the answer is it's called gleaning. And gleaning was this ancient practice that God had set up in his law in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 
tells Israel, commands Israel, that when they do a harvest, that they should leave some of the harvest. Don't run the header right to the edge of the paddock. Well, they didn't have a header, but don't harvest right to the edge of the field. And if you miss something, you leave it. Don't go back and pick it up. And if like you, you know, you get all the grapes off your vine and there's more sprouting, leave the second lot. Who are you leaving it for? You're leaving it for the poor and for the foreigners, for those who are vulnerable and who need help. It's kind of like a built-in welfare system that gave people who were poor and destitute the opportunity to earn their own living. It was a great concept. Incredibly smart, which is kind of understandable because God came up with it. It's called gleaning. And it's one of many places in the Bible where God calls his people to be generous towards the poor. It was a revolutionary concept at the time because normally in ancient Israel, if you grew something on your land, you owned it. I think that's pretty universal, isn't it? Does it work that way here in Coleman? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? That's the way it works. You, you don't see people coming behind... I love growing veggies. You don't see people coming behind you and, and picking up this, the veggies you missed. You found someone in your veggie patch pinching your veggies, you'd say, Oi! Stop it! It's countercultural, even today. And so God calls his people to be generous. He calls us to be generous as his people. And throughout history, Christians have been people who are generous to the poor. Back in the Roman Empire, one of the things that impressed the Romans the most was that Christians were generous to the poor. Even to a fault. And if you think about all the charities that happen in Australia... How many of them are Christian or have a Christian heritage? Of the top five charities by giving in Australia, four out of the five are either Christian or have a Christian heritage. Number five in terms of giving, in terms of Mount Given, is this little charity called Compassion. Despite only asking Christians to donate. You know how few Christians there are in Australia. Okay? We see, we have currently under sponsorship 120,000 kids because Christians are generous. This is part of our DNA as Christians. Okay? And around the world, Compassion has 2 million children under sponsorship. Why? Well, because we hear God calling us to be generous and we say, yes, God, I will. Yes, I will. He calls us. Let's throw the next slide, Steve. The next slide, Steve. It's like a tongue twister. Ah, here's a video about the church being generous. Poverty is complex and widespread. It devastates communities, families, and those most vulnerable, children. But in the midst of great poverty, God provides the local church. 
A church is a family, a community, reaching out to their neighbours, to children. God brings his hope and love to people of all nations through his church. But to reach out to children and families living in poverty, a church sometimes needs a partner. That's where Compassion comes in. Compassion works in partnership with local churches in more than 26 developing countries around the globe. Our goal is to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name through the love and practical support of their local church. Compassion is Christ-centered, child-focused and church-based. We believe that addressing poverty in all its complexity and difficulty means showing children and their mums and dads that God loves them and sent Jesus for them. We believe through the gospel message and the love of Jesus, children can be truly released from the four forms of poverty, spiritual, socio-emotional, physical and economic. With the commitment of the local church and the power of God, our strategic programs have seen more than a million children released from poverty since 1952. All around the world, local people, highly trained, dedicated staff, local experts like doctors and teachers, passionate volunteers from the local church are building relationships with children, encouraging them, improving their access to medical care, clean water, nutritional support, and an education at a local school, showing them a different path, a path that would lead them out of poverty and into a new hope. From the womb to the workforce, compassion helps in the long-term development of children because focusing on children is a powerful and effective way to spread wider change through families and communities. So how does it work? The Child Sponsorship Program is the core of Compassion's ministry. It connects one sponsor with one child living in poverty, providing healthcare and education, as well as encouragement and prayer. Critical Needs builds upon the foundation of the Child Sponsorship Program by providing additional support for things like clean water, emergency care, disaster relief, pre- and postnatal care, and vocational training. Together, these programs help around 7,000 local churches meet the needs of children in their communities. From Bangladesh to Burkina Faso, from Ethiopia to El Salvador, local people are creating local solutions to the problem of poverty. And in all of those communities and churches, one thing stays the same. Our partnerships are built on integrity, trust and accountability. So who is Compassion? Together we're 1.7 million children, babies, mums and students, and a million more graduates. We're hundreds of thousands of supporters and sponsors. We're passionate child advocates. We're mums and dads, we're businesses, we're community groups and churches. We're a community, a family that stretches across continents. We're united in heart, one in spirit, convinced that Christ and His church all over the world can work mighty wonders in the face of extreme poverty. We are Compassion, and we're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. That video is about five years old now, so the 1.7 million has turned into 2 million. Um, and that's, you know, praise God, it's great news. Uh, but it's, it gives you good insight, and why, why I wanted to show that to you is it gives you good insight into what we do. What is compassion? Well, it's not really anything. It's actually just the bridge between the church here and the church in the developing world who want to reach out with the good news of Jesus and the helping hand that changes people's lives. And so we're just a bridge between the two, helping Christians in the West share some of what they have, share some of their surplus in order to help those in poverty in Jesus' name. So we're very Christian, obviously, we're Christ-centred, 
Okay, well, we believe that it's important that kids have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. What they do with that is between them and God. But we do see quite a number of kids and their families choose to say yes to Jesus and take, them as, take him as Lord and Saviour. And that's wonderful. Um, we're child-focused because children matter to the Lord Jesus. I don't think I need to quote any scripture verses. You know those ones, don't you? They're also hugely significant in terms of helping people in real poverty. If you're in the developing world, you don't get a pension. You don't get super. Your children are those things. And if they don't care for you in your old age, too bad. Uh, and so children are critical to parents. They're also critical, of course, to their own siblings. Many a sponsored child that I've met, once they've grown up, turn around and say, I'm going to help all my, my brothers and sisters pay their way through uni and pay their way through school and help teach them how to read and write. Uh, children are a great investment. Church-based. We only work through local churches. Why? Well, we're convinced that God works through his church. Now, what does God say he's going to build? I will build my church, he says. That's what, so we're wanting to be aligned with God's purposes in the world. And so we only work through local churches. Uh, and that means that when people get helped, the local church gets the credit. Okay, if you went to one of our 25 different countries in which we operate, you wouldn't see a great big blue building everywhere. You know, every village has a big blue building, it's a compassion building. No, there's a, a church building and a little tiny sign that says compassion centre. That's the only thing to tell you that it's a compassion centre. It's the local church that does the work. And I can tell you that those guys are the heroes. Those guys are the ones going into the slums and helping people. And most of them are actually volunteers. Only about two or three people in each Compassion Project, which looks after about 300 kids, actually is paid. Most of them are volunteers. But we, through our sponsorship, resource them. So that's a bit about what Compassion is. It's simply the church doing what it's always done. Holding out the word of life as it hands, gives people a helping hand to help them up. Time to look again at Ruth. So out, Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. And uh, she's working there, but the guy who owns the field comes along. His name is Boaz. And the tension is, at this point in the story, what is Boaz going to do? Is he going to say no? Or is he going to say yes to Ruth gleaning in the field? Have a look at verse 8 to see the answer. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So Boaz here hears the call of God in the command in Leviticus and says, Yes, God, I will obey. 
Yes, God, I will care for this poor person. He answered that call to be generous. And that's not a simple thing for someone like Boaz because Boaz has a whole range of potential excuses that would be very legit. And everyone would look at him and go, well, that's okay, we understand. For starters, Boaz is a business person. He has lots of workers who rely on him. And he could easily have said, oh, look, I'm sorry, Ruth. Look at all these people here who are working. They've all got to have part of that grain. We can't share it with anyone else. There isn't any left over once all the workers have their share. Or he could have said, hey, Ruth, you know that we've just come out of drought. This is the first good harvest. Ruth 1.1 tells us there was famine in the land. This is the first good harvest. We need to get back on our feet ourselves. So perhaps not this time, Ruth. Maybe next year. Or he could have said, listen, Ruth, you're not an Israelite. And charity starts at home. We have lots of poor people here in Bethlehem and we'll look after them first because we need to look after our own first. And Ruth would have been powerless to stop him. He ha she has no kin in this country. She probably has limited ability to speak the language. And you can see in verse 10 just how vulnerable she is. She's amazed that he is allowing her to do it. Boaz doesn't go with any of the excuses. He hears the call. And friends, that brings out something that's key about generosity for all of us. And that is that when we choose to be generous, we're actually choosing to put our faith in the provision of God. And we're actually going against the advice of our world. What is our advice of our world? Our advice of our world is, well, if you're doing okay, you put it away for a rainy day. You save up a nest egg because you never know what's going to happen. If you were going to translate that into the advice of the time, you would have probably said something along the lines of, well, you need to keep all that grain to yourself and put it in your barns, ready for the next drought. And if the barn wasn't big enough, you need to tear the barn down and build a bigger one and fill that up. Does that sound familiar? It's good advice. It's the, in one sense, it's the smart financial advice. And yet God promises us to provide. And when we say yes and give something away, each time we do that, whether it's to Compassion or whether it's to Samaritan's Purse or, or to whatever, we're actually saying, yes, God, I trust you to provide the bread of tomorrow. I'll give it by a bit of today's bread. And that's a great way for us to think about being generous, that it's actually about faith and trusting God.
When I was five years old, my dad broke his leg and he couldn't work. We didn't have money for food. Near our home, bad people would be out at night. I was very scared. I felt like no one cared about me and I didn't matter. When I was nine, one of my neighbors told me about compassion. I didn't know what it was about, but I liked it because I received a lot of help. I was fed there at the church and I learned how to take care of myself. I learned that I was special and that God loved me and that he had a plan for my life. And I learned that I could ask Jesus into my heart. And when I did, I was so happy. I was waiting to get a letter from my sponsor and when it finally came, I felt very happy and special. They were very loving in their letters. They loved me so much, even though we never met in person. At 15, I remember being so thankful for my sponsors and everything they did for me. I will remember them until the last day of my life. Without their help, my life would be so different. All I can say is thank you for so much love that showed me God's love. Now, I know I have value, and I know I have a future. My name is Hilda, this is my story. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. A child is waiting. Hilda's a real person. If you went to Peru, you wouldn't find Paddington Bear, but you would find Hilda if you looked in the right spot. That's where she lives. And that gives you a great... I love that video for several reasons. One is she becomes a Christian and I cry every time. <laughs> and the other thing is because of her ordinary sponsors. You see the photo that she held up? They were just ordinary people doing something that for Hilda was extraordinary. By simply giving a little, by praying for her, and by writing words of encouragement, she, they were changing her life. It was massively... I don't know if they knew what they were doing or how significant it was for Hilda, but it was life-changing. And because she gave her life to Christ, eternity-changing. Amazing. But you know what? R the story of Ruth goes on in Ruth chapter 2. Uh, you see, Boaz isn't content with heeding God's call and obeying the law. Because he's a man of great faith, he decides to go beyond that. And we see that in verses 15 and 16 of the chapter. So as she gets up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, 
Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Now, at first glance, this is one of the weirdest statements you will ever hear in your life. Because what Boaz is doing is he's asking his workers to do a deliberately bad job. Has anyone ever gone and worked for someone who said, I want you to do a bad job today? It doesn't happen, does it? I've never had that happen to me. Yet that's what's happening here with Boaz. He's saying to his workers, I want you to do a bad job. I want you to drop bits. Normally your aim is to get as much in the, the sheaves as possible. Now, I want you to even pull stuff out, sabotage the work here, guys. And the way he's doing that is he's wanting to bless abundantly, uh, do extra generosity towards Ruth. He's not content with saying, I'm doing my bit. He says, I want to really bless this person. I want to really do it. And so he goes and asks his workers to do a sloppy job so that she can have the dignity of getting a bumper harvest. And towards the end of the, the passage in verse 17, she's out there gathering and she gathers an ephah of grain. And we all know how much an ephah of grain is, don't we? Yes, you can look down the bottom of your Bible, didn't you? Well done. Oh, you've written it in here. So most Bibles, they'll have a little thing down the bottom. Here's a hot tip on reading your Bible. Uh, I don't know what an ephah is, unless I read down the bottom. It says here, three-fifths of a bushel, which doesn't actually help me anymore, or about 22 litres. It's actually a lot of grain. It's a lot of grain, and it's heavy. And it tells you two things. One is that Ruth's a worker, and if you find someone called Ruth, you should employ them. Just joking. Uh, it also tells you, though, just how amazingly generous this was. The other thing that tells you how generous it is, is Naomi's reaction at the end of the chapter. When she gets to the end of the chapter, Naomi goes, what? where were you working? Whose field were you in this day? Because it's obvious that this is outrageous generosity that she's experienced. And look, Boaz is in a position to do that. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we've, in chapter yeah, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we find out that he's a man of standing. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't own a chair. It means he's a businessman with a bit behind him. Okay? He's able to give more. And so he chooses to give more with what God has given him. He's been abundantly blessed. And so he's blessing abundantly. And that's, in one sense, I'd, I want to challenge us as Westerners. Are we in a position like Boaz to bless abundantly? Now, most people look at me and say at this point, well, Paul, I know that person over there has been blessed abundantly and they can do that. But that's often because we don't really realize just how wealthy we are. Uh, we had a look at on uh, Wednesday night and we noticed that some of the kids, well, their chore was carrying water. Why is that the case? Because they don't even have one tap in their house. I've got like six or seven in my house and some on the outside for the plants. 
It's unbelievable, isn't it? We are actually incredibly wealthy. Uh, if, if we're in a, a decent paying job in Australia, we're actually in the top part, in the first carriage in the world in terms of wealth. We're actually being blessed abundantly. I know it doesn't feel like that often because we watch all those ads on TV that tell us how much we ought to have <laughs> in their eyes. And it's designed to make us want more, but the reality is we've been blessed greatly. It's one of the reasons why I sponsor four kids. I've been doing that a long time, since before I worked for Compassion. Back when I was a pastor, I was doing it. And why? can you guess why I, I do four? I have four kids. So uh, each of my kids have a sponsor sister, or in the case of my son, a sponsor brother. And I do that because I can. God's blessed me abundantly. Yeah, I've got a mortgage, but I don't really even feel it. It's not that expensive. It actually costs more to own a dog than to sponsor a child. It's, it, it, it's a strange concept, isn't it? And there's part of us that goes, that shouldn't be. But it is. And friends, it's a great way of my kids learning and growing in the Lord Jesus. Because every time they get a letter from their sponsor sister or their sponsor brother, they are realizing just how much they have. They used to come home from school and, and ask me, why are we poor? I'd say, what do you mean you're not poor? I'd say, oh, the kids at school spend lots of money at the tuck shop and we never do. I said, that's because we choose to give you decent food <laughs> that we make at home. And we <laughs> but they were struggling with this idea. They had more toys. They had more this, more that. They didn't realize what they had. But now... They come home and they go, oh, I've got a sponsor letter. And they read about their sponsor brother or sister. And it grounds them in reality and encourages them to think not about what they don't have, but what they have. It's such a great thing. So I'm not the only one doing this. It's not like I came up with the idea. Lots of people are doing it, and, and either for their children or for their grandchildren. Uh, choosing to sponsor uh, one for them, if they can. So let me ask you, has God blessed you abundantly? And if that's the case, maybe part of the reason for that is so that you can be a blessing. And friends, let me say, it's also a way of building a wonderful legacy. All those kids over there know my name, the whole families know my name, and they pray for me prayers of thankfulness because God has used me to answer their prayers. He's a big God, isn't he? So friends, let me encourage you to think about that and consider it. I want you to come with me to the New Testament because I want to introduce you to someone who is far more generous than me but it's not in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, because I got a typo there. Sorry. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The one who's the generous one is really the Lord Jesus. You think about what he sacrificed. He gave up the riches of heaven to come to this place. And I know Coleman's great, but it's not heaven. Close? Yeah. That's, that's what they said in Narendra. Yeah. That's what they said in Weebor. That's what they said in Bogabra. Anyway, I'm glad you love being here. But it's not heaven, is it? Things go wrong even in Coolerman. Nothing ever goes wrong in heaven. It's fantastic. Looking forward to it. Jesus gave that up and came. He walked around the earth with a bunch of buff heads, otherwise known as the disciples, who kept on getting things wrong. Can you imagine the patience required? Yeah, or divine patience perhaps. Patience of God. And then he dies. A horrible, awful death. Rejected by God on the cross. Taking our punishment on himself. That's generosity. And that's the generosity that saves. Because I want you to understand before we go any further that the thing that saves us as a Christian is having Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Trusting Him is what saves, not being generous to the poor. Now, don't get me wrong, being generous to the poor is a great thing, but it's something that we do because Jesus has saved us, not as a way of being saved. And we do it because He saved us, because in a way, it's a bit like us becoming like Him. We're becoming like the one who saved us. He's generous, so therefore we want to be just like Him. To be generous and to be like Him in that way, as well as all the other parts of our life. So friends, let me encourage you to work at this discipline of being generous to the poor. It's a Jesus kind of thing to do. Just as you work at other aspects of your faith, like reading the Bible and praying and churching, i.e. meeting with other Christians to encourage each other, work at this one too. Because it will help you become more like the Lord Jesus. Which is awesome. Baik, terima kasih fungsi papan data anak untuk mengetahui anak-anak yang terdaftar di PTA berapa seluruhnya, berapa yang dapat sponsor, dan berapa yang belum punya sponsor. Waktu teman dapat sponsor, saya sakit hati karena tidak dapat sponsor.
dia balik dia tahu sama saya bagaimana saya makan aneh lain sudah atas sponsor saya belum dapat saya mama berdoa juga tapi saya tidak pernah dapat tunggu anak tidak mungkin nanti Tuhan yang atur saya bilang begitu sama Tiga empat bulan ke depan bahwa anak-anak ini akan memiliki sponsor melalui tangan-tangan Tuhan untuk menjamah hati para yang punya yang bisa peduli kepada anak. Tuhan akan memberikan yang terbaik buat keluarga ini. Ada sukacita, asti keluarganya asti mendapat sponsor dan ini surat dari sponsor yang buat Asti. Boleh Asti buka. Terima kasih banyak. Bawa anak saya baik. Saya kasih masuk PPA. Saya hari ini saya bangga sekali. Tapi Tuhan yang balas. Saya tidak mampu balas. Tapi Tuhan yang balas. Tidak pernah saya mimpi bahwa sponsornya Ati hari ini ada. Tapi saya bangga sekali sehingga saya jatuh air mata. Terima kasih banyak. Berlimpah-limpah. Kasih senang. Senang. Mereka Anak-anak itu merasa Dekat dengan sponsornya Dan jadi ketika mereka menceritakan Isi surat seperti itu Anak-anak merasa luar biasa Bahwa Itu tidak bisa dibayangin Seperti itu Nama Kuri Dan aku senang Senang menjadi sponsormu mungkin pikirnya ya sekedar komunikasi saja tetapi lebih daripada itu kedekatannya lebih dekat sekali dan saya berterima kasih kepada Tuhan yang bisa memberikan sponsor kepada anak sebagai anak dan bapak dan saya berterima kasih kepada compassion sebagai jembatan yang dapat menghubungkan yang ada di seberang bisa menjadi satu itu kebanggaan saya dan saya merasa senang sekali let's pray friends let's pray heavenly father we give you thanks we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to deal with our spiritual poverty and that he chose to die on that cross for us. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds, that we would be like Boaz and like the Lord Jesus. And that we would show great grace towards others. Help us to be generous 
like you are generous. And we pray for those kids that are not sponsored, like Helena wasn't. And we ask that you would provide sponsors for them. People who will put up their hand and say, yes, I'll do it. And we ask this so that more kids would hear the great news of the Lord Jesus and be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what an incredibly simple way to change God's world. Hey, it's um, something that is so within the reach of every single one of us here today, isn't it? Hey, Paul, what do people need to do next if, if they want to sponsor a child? What, what needs to happen? Uh, sorry, I'm going to stop crying. Um, you would think you'd get used to it, but I, every time I see those videos, I sort of burst into tears. Um, there's a table at the back. There are child profiles on them, just like you saw in some of those videos, people holding them up. Come up, have a look at the children, pick them up and look at them and ask yourself a question, is God wanting me to sponsor this child or these children? Uh, and then we can, if you say yes, that's what I want to do, then we can... Uh, you can do that on your phone in five minutes and it's, you're, you're away. Okay, as, as simple as that. Choose a child and jump on your phone. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the display's down the back. So I encourage you at some point this afternoon to, um, if that is something that God has stirred in your heart,